Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. The first lesson is from Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35, found on page 81 of your Bible in the Old Testament. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know that the skin on his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak to him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites what he had been commanded. The Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining, and Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went to speak with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning is from Luke's Gospel. We are in the ninth chapter, uh, Luke 9, 28 through 36, what we refer to as the transfiguration. Listen again with fresh ears. Now, about eight days after saying this, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and in those days told no one 
of any of the things that they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today is all about the transfiguration. It is in our church calendar, the Sunday before we kick off Lent, which will begin this Wednesday, but the first Sunday of Lent will begin next uh, Sunday. So we'll have Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, and then we kick off with week one of six weeks that we call the season of Lent that prepares us for the coming of Holy Week, the time when Jesus goes to Jerusalem for the last time. He teaches for the last time. Last Supper is goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, prays, betrayed, goes through the trials, is crucified and buried. And then Easter morning, when he arose and changed everything. So this is the Sunday that things begin to look toward Jerusalem for that end time. The word transfiguration simply means to change. It is like transformation, like metamorphosis, changing from one thing to another. So in this story, we are in Luke's gospel, and we are in chapter 9. We're not too far in when Jesus selects three of his disciples, not all of them, to go up to the mountain to pray. He selects Peter, James, and John, those three. So they go up, and they're on Mount Sinai, also known as Mount Horeb. We think those two are the same place and interchangeable. What else happened on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament that we kind of have locked in? Does anybody know? Ten Commandments. Everybody knows. Good for y'all. Absolutely. Moses and the Ten Commandments. We'll get to him in just a moment. So they're on Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. And in the midst of this prayer time, and the disciples are kind of heavy with sleep, but it says they don't fall asleep completely. And then all of a sudden, Jesus changes. It said all of this light comes through his face, and it says his face changes. And his clothes are a dazzling white, and he is transfigured before them. That means changed before them. Imagine being the disciples, you know, they had a morning hike all the way up the mountain. They're there having a granola bar. They're about to doze off and bam, all of this light suddenly comes from Jesus. Bright. Of course, they would have been frightened. They would have been scared. And in that process, they look and they see Moses on one side and Elijah on the other. So if we look at these two prominent Jewish Old Testament Hebrew Bible figures. We know Moses not as just the one who brought the Ten Commandments, but we attribute as Moses to be the one who wrote the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Torah also means law. So we see Moses as the giver of the law, and then all those things that we know Moses did from the burning bush to the Ten Commandments to um, going to challenge Pharaoh, uh, leading the Israelites through the Red Sea into the wilderness, all of that. And then we have Elijah. Elijah is uh, a prophet that is significant 
among the Old Testament stories. If you remember, Elijah was several stories about Elijah. And the first one, and this is in First and Second Kings, uh, when I was in college, I was a religion minor because I thought it'd be fun. Didn't think I'd be going into the ministry, but it was helpful. So we had a visiting rabbi who came and taught our class near Super Bowl time. And his lesson for the day was this passage called the Super Bowl of the Gods. And if you remember, this is when Elijah, he was with King Ahab, bad king, and his wife, Jezebel, that godless Jezebel. This is where she uh, comes into the biblical story. Well, they worship false gods. They worship this Baal, B-A-A-L, and they worship uh, Asherah. And so Elijah throws down a challenge to them. He says, you bring all of your priests, all of your whatever, and I will call on my God, you call on your God, and we'll see who can start a fire on our respective altars from nothing. So they go first. 450 from Baal, 400 from Asherah. These false gods, all these prophets are dancing around. They're trying to get not a spark, not a flame, not a flicker, nothing. Elijah even starts to mock them and say, maybe your God stepped out for a while. Or maybe he had business elsewhere. So he says, okay, let's, let's do this. So he built his altar sacrifice the ox in the appropriate way, put it on top, and then dumps four huge uh, containers of water on top of it, digs a moat around it, filled this moat around the altar to make sure that no one could claim that there was something going on where there was a trick or that he had uh, uh, tried to fool them in any way. So it's doused with water. How can you start even a fire? Elijah prays, thunder, lightning comes down from above, starts the fire, consumes them. That was Elijah. Elijah also then runs, flees from that, because now Ahab and especially Jezebel were after him. And again, we know Elijah in a couple of different ways. He flees into the wilderness. He's about to starve. Then God sends him to a widow who has a little bit of meal, a little bit of oil, and she says, I can't help you. There's a, there's a famine here. I, don't have, I just have a little bit. Elijah says, you give me some of that and God will take care of you. That won't run out. And he was right. And then later on, Elijah would resurrect this widow's son. First resurrection in the Bible through Elijah. And then there are other stories, uh, vineyards with Ahab, um, Elijah is on the run again, and the ravens feed him. That's a, that's a part of that. He also seeks refuge on Mount Sinai in a cave. So we're being all tied together here on Mount Sinai, both stories. Finally, we know Elijah as being taken up with the chariot. He and Elisha, his protege, Elijah and Elisha, are both at the Jordan. He takes his mantle, which is kind of a, a, a cape that priest would wear, rolled it up, struck the Jordan with it. It divided. The chariot came down and took Elijah up. He ascended, and then Elisha picked up his mantle, his cape, as a sign that he was now the new prophet. 
and continue that ministry. And yes, picking up the mantle in any context comes from this story. So you have Moses, the giver of the law, and you have Elijah representing the prophets. It's also interesting that both of these who are heroes of our faith and our Jewish friends in our Old Testament, their Hebrew Bible, both had doubts, concerns, and fears when God called them. And at different points, they didn't want to do, nor did they think they could do what God had called them to do. So they were not always these strong and faithful people. God helped them like God helps us. So there they are, and they're chatting with Jesus for this brief moment about what some translations call the exodus, which means he's getting ready to leave. The departure is what our translation says. Some call it the exodus, the departure to where? To Jerusalem, and then from this earthly life for Jesus. So in some ways... This little story is reflective of the gospel because soon a cloud will descend and God will say, this is my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. This is my son, my chosen listen to him. Where else did God speak regarding Jesus already? What does it remind us of? Baptism, right. God said, this is my beloved, my son with whom I'm well pleased. And here, a kind of similar context. This is my beloved, my chosen one. Listen to him. What a great command for for all of us, listen to him. And so that ties us together with the baptism. You have Elijah and Moses talking to him about the resurrection and what would be Holy Week. We're tying in the law and the prophets, so it's all kind of right there in this one bright, shining, confusing moment. And then just as Peter says, let's stay here. Three booths, I'll build them. One for you, Jesus, master. One for Moses, one for Elijah. That's when the cloud descends and God brings this voice again. My son, my chosen one, listen to him. And then the cloud goes away, things clear up, and Jesus is there by himself. And they told no one about what they had seen, at least in that moment. So what did this do, the transfiguration? Why was it important? Well, it conveyed we're only in chapter 9 of Luke. They had seen Jesus do some stuff, do some healings, do some things that would have set Jesus aside. But there is no doubt at this point that Jesus, of Jesus' divinity, when he is filled with this light, this light that consumed him and that mountaintop brought these prophets forward. God's voice was there, hard to argue who Jesus is and his divine nature. So if only for that moment, 
because we know Peter and the other disciples would turn on him. But for that moment, they see Jesus's divinity and they are overcome by it. So as we connect this to the Old Testament reading that Barry read to you, we know we've already discussed Moses bringing the Ten Commandments down. We know he had gone up on Mount Sinai 40 days, brought him down. And what had happened in his absence? Aaron and the people had turned from him, and they made what together? False God, golden calf, right. They took all their gold, they melted it down. They thought Moses was gone because he was taking so long. They turned away from God. They turned away from Moses' leading, and they were worshiping. Moses comes down, all excited, got the word of God, check this out. And they're all doing this little dance around this false god. Moses gets so angry, he breaks the tablets from God, curses the people, melts the golden calf, and then grinds it into a powder and then makes them drink it. Then he goes back up a second time. Spends 40 days, is with God. In the presence of God, God writes the Ten Commandments on the stones. Moses doesn't write them. He brings them down. God writes it on the tablets. Moses comes down again where they are dutifully waiting. Except when Moses comes down, something has changed. His face is shining, glowing, radiating this light that is abnormal, this didn't happen to people, and it scared people. It's a little different from Aaron saying to his brother, Moses, you got a little spinach in your teeth right there, something. And Moses didn't know it. So he comes down, he's shining, and it became such a distraction that Moses had to put a veil over his shining face. And then when he went into God's presence again, he would take off the veil and he would come shining again. So on this Transfiguration Sunday, the first thing I want you to think about is what caused Moses' face to shine, to shine. It was being in God's presence. It was being immersed in God's word. It was spending time with God in a way that he was changed, and he didn't even know it. He didn't even know it. Think about those people in your life that radiate that kind of faith, that kind of joy, that kind of passion. Maybe it's someone in our family that helped us find our way to church. Maybe it's somebody else in our church family. Maybe it's somebody down the street that you can tell has this glow, this shine. Now, in life, we often separate what happens in church from what happens in the rest of our lives. When do we shine? When do we get so excited that we can't help but be giddy about what's happening around us? Maybe Christmas morning as a child, we glow, we radiate. Maybe 
graduation. Maybe you get a great grade on a project or a paper that you worked so hard on. Maybe you get that job or you do something great in your office, that project came through and you helped change things for the better. The day of your marriage, perhaps. The day your children are born. I'll never forget seeing my two girls for the first time. I was overcome by them. And then hearing my parents talking about watching me watch them. I was glowing, shining with God's love. But so much that we experience in our life, we don't attribute to God. All those examples are from God and rooted in Christ. Just because it's not in church doesn't mean that it's not God. God is a God of all of our life, of all creation. And we need to start to see that the things with which we celebrate and celebrate about are gifts from God. Now, Moses was in God's presence and came back shiny. We too are to come into the presence of our risen Savior to leave also filled with the glory and awe and the wonder of our risen Christ. Well, what keeps us from our face shining? So many things, so many things. We're afraid, we have fear. Afraid if we are shining and someone knows that we're a Christian, you go to that first Presbyterian church, don't you? Why do you believe in that Jesus I keep hearing about? Well, I, preacher, I don't know if I can articulate my faith if somebody asks me. I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. And so we paralyze ourselves into this fearful place of being afraid of what everybody else says that keeps us and steals our joy. We give them the power to do that. We need to claim that back. This God of the transfiguration is a divine, changing, loving Christ and Savior that should fill us with this joy and light that we can do none else but go and live as God's shining people. Well, I, a preacher, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Mm-hmm. What is God's role in evil and suffering? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a serious and an important question. And we need to search that and seek that together. But what we cannot do is throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know that phrase. From possible middle ages where the practice of the day, since there wasn't running water, everyone would bathe in the same vessel. Maybe a large family, five, ten, all in the same water. It would start in your pecking order. Start with the oldest male, to the youngest male, then oldest women, down to the children, and then the infants. And then by that time, the water was so dirty and gross and nasty, the fear was that as you cleaned it out, you would not even be able to see your own baby. I think we would know better, but that was the context and the origin. What I think we do often is we throw Jesus out with the bathwater. 
that bathwater of saying, I don't know how 100% of faith in the Bible and all of these questions are, and so I throw Jesus out with my doubt. There are some Christians who say this and do this, and I don't understand how it's, it, sometimes it is what I believe, sometimes it isn't what I believe, so I'm just not going to say anything, I'm not going to share, and we throw Jesus out with the bathwater. All of those excuses that come to our mind are excuses that we need to find a way to work through. And we can do this together, friends. That's what a family does, to help one another work through these issues so that we're not throwing Jesus out at all, but we're allowing him to share that light and shed it into our soul, which will transfigure us. Let's say Synovus calls and they've got two stacks of $100 bills as tall as Shaquille O'Neal. They call you and say, hey, it is for you. It is free. Congratulations, you won. All you have to do is come get it. Okay. Now wait, what kind of locking mechanism is on the vault door? Hmm. Is it one of those old ones with kind of the spoky ones that kind of looks like a, a ship's wheel? Is it one of those smaller ones that has like a combination lock on it, like our lockers some of them used to back in the day? Is it computer controlled? Does it work on biometrics or eye scan recognition? Well, we could tell you, but what what does that matter? Just come get you. Oh, no. Because if I get this money and then somebody says, why did you get that money? What is that locking mechanism like? And I don't know. I'm going to feel silly and foolish. So I'm not, I see what you're trying to do. I'm not going to claim my gift at all. Throwing the baby out with the bathwater that we often do to Jesus. I won't accept our gift, which is salvation. Because I have some questions over here. I'm going to leave the best gift and prize ever given to humankind in our eternal and risen Christ over here because I don't have this piece worked out and I don't have this piece worked out or I'm going to have to say something or I'm going to have to do something. Well, you're on the hook already. Ha ha. You need not fear. You need not throw the Jesus out with the bathwater. The intent that Christ has is that we too would be transfigured. When we do our time of confession, we are changing. We are being changed and given new life. We are continually transfigured. We are continually, as Malachi tells us, being in the refiner's fire, being made who God wants us to be. So as we come to this Transfiguration Sunday, find out and target what are those things that keep you from radiating the love of Christ and shining that light. Start small. Start with baby steps, but start. And the more that we work on those, the closer we get, the more we can and do radiate that light and that passion. And allow yourself to be transfigured as Christ was. Accept this gift that was made for you, for me, and all of God's creation. Because God's desire for you is to flourish in love and grace and light, not to sit in punishment and wallow in sin or God would never have sent Christ. If God was pulling all the strings and we were on God's chessboard and flicking pieces down, 
abuse, car accident, cancer. If God was a God of punishment, God would never have sent Christ. No, there are things that we don't know, but what we do know is that God is a God of love, and Christ has come to be our Savior. So let us go and celebrate and shine the light after we spend time in the presence of our King. Hallelujah. Amen.